What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. John Ford, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wagner here, Post 9 in New York Stock Exchange, front and center this hour, the Post Pal Playbook. Where stocks are likely to go now once the dust really settles in Jackson Hole. We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Fundstrat's Tom Lee joins us in just a few minutes as well. Looking very much forward to that conversation. Joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vangelo, Jason Snipe, Josh Brown, Steve Weiss, and with me right here at Post 9 is Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets up. You've been seeing this sell-off that we've been in the midst of here uh, for the better part of the last hour or so. Dow's down about 560 right now. It's the Nasdaq that's taken real hard today. Down 2.5%. The uh, 10-year note yield is at 302. So yields aren't really running away, at least on the, uh, you know, the front end, I guess you, you would say. But nonetheless, Jim Labenthal, since you're here, this was a hawkish speech. Full stop. The Fed chair said his message was, quote, going to be more direct. Restoring price stability will take some time by using our tools forcefully. He said another, quote, unusually large increase could be appropriate at the next meeting. Decision will be dependent on incoming data. He cited Paul Volcker. He said we must keep at it until the job is done. Said there's going to be some pain as a result. Leisman pointing out today that, in fact, shows how resolute the Fed is going to be. And with all of that, you say what? So, first off, I say this is not a surprise, okay? He wanted to take off the table, Scott, the idea that rate cuts were coming anytime soon. Uh, That idea should not have been on the table. Um, Everybody for the last month plus has been saying that, look, we're going to raise above restrictive. Everybody in the the Fed Governance Committee uh, has been saying we're going to raise above restrictive levels, and then we're going to stay there, okay? So that should not have been a surprise. Um, What he said is that he's going to be data dependent. One month is not enough. Again, that should not have been surprising. Did he really say he was going to be data dependent. That's what I heard. What he said, and I listened, you listened, he said, I want to see the totality of data before making the decision. Those were more or less his exact words. The totality of data was a phrase that he used. I feel like they're going to put a sledgehammer uh, on the economy, Steve Weiss, and then they may be data dependent on what happens next. But this was about as hawkish as you've ever heard this Fed chair, I thought. Yeah, you know, frankly, I've never seen a market down almost 3% uh, because it expected something. So I challenge that the market's not surprised by it, that everybody expected such a hawkish statement by Powell. Um, Some did, for sure, but a lot didn't. And uh, take a look at where it is. So I think the delusional aspect of what some people are saying really has to stop. They have to think, be a little introspective, and realize that it's been free money, not just in the U.S., but around the world for the longest period ever. There is no time like this in history. None. Period. End of story. And so everybody got addicted. Companies, investors, meme players, apes got addicted to free money. And turning that, getting off that addiction like any addiction, is painful, 
a lot of bumps in the road, and it's not a one-way trip. So well, he said painful. Look, I say he said it was like going to be painful. Yeah. He definitely said it was going to be and painful. And it will be. Sorry. Yeah, well, he, he said as much. I Let mean, me Brenda, say one more he, thing. He, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, the market got to 18 times. In any environment, that is expensive. So you've got to overshoot on the downside. So there's no basis for being bullish here. Congratulations to the bulls who caught the bear market rally and thinking that's redemption. It's not. Get real. Brenda, he, he, Brenda, he, he basically told you that the Fed's going to break the economy. I mean, he said as much without saying those exact words. The only question now is by how much? Do they send it into a deep recession? Is a soft landing even possible? Do they even care at this point about a soft landing? Is that really the goal? I thought this was about as sort of plain spoke and clear as we've heard this chair. Well, I think if we consider the circumstances right now, where if we look at economic data, it's still very strong uh, by many measures, especially areas like the job market, which Jay Powell called out as being um, a problematic once again. And we've had this nice market bounce that we've seen. So I think there was no reason for him uh, to be, uh, certainly not to be dovish uh, at all. And I think he needs to send a clear message that the Fed plans to combat this inflationary environment so we don't have long-term inflation expectations getting ahead of themselves, because that's an even bigger problem to battle and will cause more pain, as he suggested. So I think, you know, what I heard is not that they're planning to um, throw the economy into recession, but that they are planning to keep restrictive policy in place, perhaps for an extended period of time. Uh, so to Jim's earlier comment, you know, I think that signals, hey, we're not going to lower interest rates anytime soon, you know, knowing what we know today. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's possible that they could still uh, have a soft landing scenario, especially given the strong backdrop that we're dealing with right now. So I think that's yeah. the other nuance and difference this time around. Although Jason Snipe, I mean, as Leesman, I thought so correctly pointed out, um, the fact that Powell went out of his way to suggest that there is going to be pain, he used that word, just shows how resolute they're going to be. And if the economy breaks in the process, so be it, because he can't stand the pain anymore. He can't stand the pain that inflation is causing so many people in this country that, you know, be damned if the economy suffers dramatically as a result, they've got to get it under control, and he's resolute in doing so. Absolutely, Scott. I mean, clearly, Powell was forceful in saying that he, they're going to be forceful in stifling demand. I mean, that, that's the case here. I think, you know, for, for the bulls and, and thinking about this case potentially being, this speech potentially being dovish is just the wrong way to think about it. I mean, Weiss makes a great point, and just there's been so much free money out here. He had to come out and, and make this type of statement. And I think also some confusion last month on you know, reserving course or changing course early next year, maybe potentially reducing rates, he had to put that to bed as well. So I think the story is really about, you know, too little. If they do too little and inflation becomes more deeply entrenched, that will be more painful than the latter. So I think that's really what the, what the Fed is focused on, and I think rightfully so. And we'll kind of see as inflationary prints come over the next couple of weeks and months, you know, if there's, is a, if there's a theme where prints are slowing, I mean, that, that will be obviously positive for the markets. But he had to come out and state what he stated today. Unless you just don't believe, Powell. Unless 
you don't believe that they're going to follow through on what he said they're going to do because either inflation is going to cooperate so uh, tremendously or they're going to break the economy enough that they have to reverse course. Rob Seachin tweeting just a few moments ago, we think the Fed is talking tougher than they will need to deliver. So I don't know what you make of this, Josh Brown, but I certainly would love to hear it. Well, the talking is part of the part of the policy. Like they don't speak for no reason. Once upon a time, there was a Fed that held no press conferences, never answered any questions and spoke elliptically like the caterpillar from uh, Alice in Wonderland. And that was Alan Greenspan. And on CNBC, you guys had a camera set up to watch him walk across the street with a briefcase. And you would try to gauge the meaning of that based on how overstuffed with papers that leather uh, briefcase was. I'm not making this up. You, you can Google this. So uh, the Fed has since learned that speaking is a very powerful tool uh, or, or weapon in its arsenal. And so Rob may be exactly right. The last thing the Fed needs right now is for the market to start anticipating a dovish pivot. It's the stupidest thing on earth because that forces them in a position to continue to fight against financial conditions that are too loose. If the stock market rallies 25% in the Fed's face, what do you think that means? Longer tightening uh, uh, cycle or shorter? Of course longer. So it's a weird situation that we're in now. The Fed's like walking a tightrope. They don't want to give the market the impression that they're trying to create a, a financial crash, but they don't want people saying, you know what? I don't care. I'm buying now because the, you know, we're about to have a pivot. And then all of a sudden you see weights come down, which they have. You see multiples expand, which they have. You see uh, the wrong type of lending to resume, which it might. Then you see Bitcoin start rallying. That works contra to what the Fed needs to do here. So I would expect the continued tough talk. That being said, pretty much a guaranteed recession in Europe in the next, in the next six months. 50% chance, according to Wall Street, of a recession here in the next 12 months. And I'm going to share something with you that uh, Labenthal is probably not going to want to hear. A lot of people are not going to want to hear. But this is the reality. Go back to 1940. You have never had an inflationary spike above 5% that was resolved with anything other than a recession. It's never happened. Nine instances, 1945, 48, 53, 69, 73, 80, 81, 90, 2007. This would be the 10th. So you want to roll the dice, cowboy? You want to say this is the time respond. the Fed gets away with it? I, yeah. Not me. I, I want Leibenthal to respond. I mean, even UBS is like markets gotten ahead of themselves uh, pricing in a soft landing. And yeah. maybe some market participants have as well. I hope Farmer Jim. I hope you will allow me to make clear what my position is. Please Very do. Very specifically. Please do. All right. 50 basis points in September, 25 in November and December. And then the Fed pauses. I never had rate cuts in the in the program. I've told you a couple of times it's like having your mother bail you out from a fight. You may remember that line. All right. Not in my equation. Um, what is in my equation, and, and listen, Josh makes a fair point. It's a good point. All right, history says this, but we have to acknowledge that where we've been in the last two years, there's been a lot of historical precedents broken, including over the last six months, a bear market in which jobs increased, meaningfully increased, and there was no banking crisis. Like, I, honestly, I've never seen that. 
Another thing that I have not seen in 40 years, literally 40 years of investing, is a European recession in any way cause a recession here in the U.S. I just haven't seen it. Doesn't mean it can't happen. What I am saying is that we are in this post-pandemic world dealing with the short-term and long-term effects of having shut down the global economy. One of those short-term effects is inflation, which the Fed is hell-bent for leather to control. God bless them. They're doing it. By the end of this year, if you follow my thesis, they're going to have raised 325 basis points. What is missing so far, so far, is a collapse in earnings. Yes, earnings estimates for 2023 have come down from June by 3%. Big deal. What if, they go, deal. Pa- what if they go past four and they stay then there for a while? Then we've got a problem. As, then but, we've got a problem. But I don't understand. Like, what, Can I respond? Of all, Can I jump let me, in front let me, of you? Let me finish. Because all of, you had so many Fed speakers this week uh, almost err on the side of going there rather than not. It's like, it's like you, you got earmuffs on no, an no, occasion no, no, where you don't want to listen to what they're t- trying to That's, tell you. That's not it. Who was it? Esther George the other day said maybe got to go past four, say, Here's go to four percent and stay there for a while. Here's what I'm saying. Believe it or not. I mean, you're, you're welcome to be skeptical of this. Sine qua non for where we are right now is inflation. OK, Jay Powell doesn't wake up in the morning and say, let's crush the economy. That's not what he says. He says, let's crush inflation. And if I have to crush the economy along the way, so be it. But he says crush inflation. Look at where gasoline (laughs) futures are. They're 40%. Hold on. Hold on before you start (laughs) laughing, okay? Let's just get it all out there. Josh, I see you laughing. I think it's inappropriate, okay? I think you should give some credence to the other side of the story. Gasoline futures are down 40%. Corn, cotton, wheat futures are back to where they were before the Russian invasion. We're talking about food. We're talking about clothing, cotton. We're talking about fuel. Yes, I know you're going to come at me about rent because I've heard you say that owner's equivalency rent is one of the most made up fantastical statistics you know what i think he's gonna I've you know what i think seen. he's gonna come at you with and i'm gonna give you the the ball here josh is that you can't do one without the other you can't it's wake up and, you can't wake up and say i'm gonna crush inflation without crushing the economy in the process it's and, and some people down. think that they can regulate by how much they can just tweak it along the way well we're only going to hit the economy just a little bit but we're going to hit inflation a lot and then we're going to continue to hit inflation but we're still only going to hit the economy just a little bit josh brown in 1994 alan greenspan recognized that uh the economy was overheating but he wanted to prolong the economic cycle by not letting it get white hot and so he was able to, both using the regular meetings and intra-meeting, do a series of rate hikes. Uh, one of them was 75 basis points, which shocked the market. Then I think there was one or two 50s. And he got his way. And we didn't have a recession in 1994, 1995. The expansion was prolonged, and it worked. I would love to tell you that I think that that's a possible scenario uh, right now. But the other headwinds are just way different than they were in that soft landing instance. So there is precedence that you could. The thing the thing, though, that differs about 94 from now is 94 wasn't an emergency. This is an emergency. And there are a lot of aspects of the current inflation. And Jim knows this as well as I do, maybe even better than I do, that are not under the Fed's purview. So the Fed will continue to do what they think is the right thing to do. Uh, but it might not be enough or it might be too late. And I think when you look at some of the drought-driven electricity shortages that the world is dealing with, that's like more right back into the uh, supply chain issue. So when you look at manufacturing 
uh, incapable of delivering things across Asia, across Europe. It's like, what is the Fed supposed to do about that? The only tool they have is to crush demand. They can't make semiconductors, they, right? So like, this is gonna be an issue and now you're gonna get into the fall. Now, now you're seeing uh, the Europeans adding to natural gas inventory at the fastest mm -hmm. rate in history since they've been tracking the data. That might not be enough. And there's a whole geopolitical angle to this that works against the Fed. And on what are they note, supposed to do about that? Should they broker an this, armistice uh, between Ukraine and, and, uh, and Russia? It's like, Jason it's like Snipe, foolish to think. On, I want to, sorry to interrupt. Jason Snipe, I mean, on this whole note, Rick Reeder, BlackRock, puts out a statement um, that says, still, while it's absolutely imperative that the Fed get the currently high rate of inflation under control, we are concerned about the potential for the central bank to overdo the tightening and undo much of the progress that has been made in recovering from the pandemic shock. So there's, you know, there's two sides of this. One, believing, Jason, that they're going to be especially resolute. As the Fed chair said today, he invoked, he didn't have to invoke uh, Volcker. He did. He didn't have to use the word forcefully. He did. The other side of the coin is that they overdo it. And they do too much. They crush the economy, and then they got to reverse themselves. So that's in the that's in some people's uh, dialogue as well. Absolutely, Scott. I mean, that, that's the other piece. Just like you mentioned, I mean, overdoing it would will push this economy into a recession, and that's obviously problematic. But you know, I think there's obviously space. You know, if if they do overdo it, um, there's space for them to cut and move back, like like. Apparently, a lot, of, a lot of the markets took that, um, you know, from conversations last month in, in the Fed, Fed speak. So I think really, again, you know, to my points earlier, I think they have to essentially almost overdo it. I think, I think they yeah. have to do that here because inflation is a much larger problem in my view. Yeah. Weiss, you want in? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. And just a couple of points. I mean, you know, Jim always is referring to hey, we're back to where we were before Russia invaded Ukraine. Inflation was running hot then. So getting back to there is not a victory, number one. Number two, some commodity prices coming down 40% still get you at three times where the Fed is targeting inflation. So even if we see it drop 40% to 6%, they still got to be very aggressive. And in terms of unemployment being so low right now, Take a look at the labor participation rate. It's very low. We're coming off the lowest in modern memory going back decades and decades. As that goes up, and it is rising, not just because people are coming back to work from the pandemic, but because inflation has killed them and has depleted their savings. So you're going to see unemployment rise. And by the way, a lot of those jobs are low paying jobs that don't offset the inflation. So, look, there's always, uh, you know, another side to the to the argument. But to me, this is just so blatantly obvious that I, I don't, don't I mean, understand. Jimmy, how Jimmy's not these the only one with that view, it. though. It's not like Jimmy's sitting on, uh, you know, uh, we're on an island now, but he's not he's not sitting on this island by himself. Um, Tom Lee's coming up after no. the break hey. and he he's going to paint a picture which meshes with with Farmer Jim. But let, let's do this. Let's do this. So, Brenda, how do I take the Fed chair's words today? How do I take everybody in the committee today, their words, and put it into action in terms of, of the markets? You got 
you know, if, if you think that rates are going to go up like like some still do, uh, that rates haven't peaked yet. That's some of the commentary on the street today. Tech's gotten uh, beaten up pretty good over the last couple of weeks. How do I put words into action? What do I want to do here? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to consider, especially given Jay, uh, Jay Powell's words today about uh, maintaining a restrictive stance for an extended period of time. In my view, that spells that if we have economic growth, it's going to be slower economic growth, perhaps for a prolonged period of time. So we have to think about how do you position in that environment if you want to stay invested. Um, and looking at these cyclical sectors that have done so well over the last few years, I think we could see a shift in market leadership back to high quality tech companies uh, because when we look at those cyclical sectors, many of them are just going to have a hard time growing um, if they don't have economic growth at their back. I think the energy sector is the exception within that basket. But broadly speaking, I think cyclicals may have a tougher go, uh, particularly because they've had such phenomenal earnings growth over the last few years. So now their comparisons, growth comparisons are tougher. But when we look at large cap tech and you know high quality tech, I think these are companies that can continue to grow, albeit perhaps slower than they have, particularly over the last few years. But I think we're in a place now where we know they have tough comparisons. We know many of them were pandemic beneficiaries and their stock prices have in many cases, you know, significantly underperformed the market for this year to date period and for the one year period. So I think we could start to see a shift back into many of those names. So I'm talking about names like Google's of the world, the Amazon's of the world, where valuations now much more reasonable. We know their businesses could potentially slow or are slowing a little bit, um, but that's okay. We know that, and we know that they will likely hold up better in some cases than many of the cyclical industries that are out there. These All right. industries. Let's do this. Uh, Weiss, I think you got to bounce, right? You got to go? Is that what I'm told? Yeah. Yep. All right, you go. Yes. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate right. you coming on. I wanted you to help mix it appreciate up here. Um, post pal so we'll see you again soon that's steve weiss joining us up next it's tom lee he's our halftime headliner he gives his take on what pal said what it means what you should do with your money plus tonight six eastern tune in for a cnbc special report the fed factor it's hosted by our own dominic chu and steve leesman we're back in two Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. All right, we're back. I want to show you the markets here. Uh, we are at, uh, we'll call it session lows, almost a 2% decline for the Dow, better than that for the S&P 500, which is off about 95 and a half points. And the NASDAQ is approaching a 3% decline. It's down 358, almost 59 
uh, 12,280 on the back of that very hawkish speech from Fed Chair Jay Powell today. Let's bring in our halftime headliner. I said Fundstrat's Tom Lee was going to be with us. He is here now. Uh, he, of course, is a managing partner, head of research there. So uh, what was your take from Powell, Tom, and what does it mean for your outlook for stocks? Um, well, Powell gave a tough on inflation talk. It's been consistent with the Fed's stance for all of 2022. Um, so I don't think it should be a surprise to investors. But I think one of the takeaways for me is the Fed is going to really respond when inflation is on a trajectory to be under control. And that pace uh, is unknown. It's something the Fed doesn't even want to attempt to forecast. And of course, because the markets are nervous and don't have visibility, they assume it's going to be around for a long time. I think this is where people who are constructive on markets should, should really focus on. The drivers for rising inflation or accelerating inflation have essentially evaporated. Uh, you know, housing inventory levels are now at the highest, almost approaching to where they were during the great financial crisis. Durable goods like cars and furniture, which became Veblen goods for a while, you know, as the prices rose, demand rose, uh, they're now turning into no demand even as prices fall. So I think you have outright deflation in durables. And then even on the subject of wages, you know, we look at some of these high frequency measures like job openings from Indeed.com Labs, they're down more than 40%. Wage growth doesn't have to get down to zero to meet the Fed's inflation target. They're being pretty explicit. It needs to fall about one and a half percentage points in terms of wage growth. So if it's running around five, three to four percent is consistent with actual overall inflation of two. So unless someone thinks inflationary drivers are accelerating, I don't think the Fed is sitting here wanting to crush asset markets. But they do want to remind people they're not going to be easy. And again, I think the stock market takes its cue from the bond market. The 10 years really kind of been pretty stable. I don't think it's I think this sell off is going to end up being bought. Yeah, un unless you think and there is, at least in small corners at the moment, a belief that inflation is going to be more ingrained into the system than some people think for a variety of reasons. It's the story that Nick Timrose of the Journal wrote the other day, geopolitics, protectionism, a uh, only increasing global demand for commodities, wages, and because of the job market that don't really go down all that much, the demand for housing, uh, et cetera, around the globe. Are you considering that at all, or you sound fully dismissive of that view? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm dismissive. I think they're all credible points. But at the end of the day, the alchemy is, what is the shakeout in terms of consumer expectations for inflation? And the UMICH surveys already show now for the third consecutive month, we'll really, it'll be the third final. Inflation expectations are falling, both on the one year and five year. So despite everyone's claim that inflation is even getting stronger, from a consumer's perspective, it's weakening. And look at the market-based measures of inflation. So if you look at the swaps market, the one year forward's at 2.7. It's pretty much been pinned there since mid-June. I don't think that the inflationary sort of outcome of all of these factors is actually accelerating inflation. It's, I think it's cooling. I can't say I know where inflation is going to be in 12 months, but I would say that it seems like it's being on the downside versus consensus. So Farmer Jim, who's sitting next to me, Jim Labenthal, said 50 in September, 25 after that, and, and 25 after that. What are your own expectations? Because I need to know that in order to discuss your year-end target, which is lofty for the S&P. Uh, I think between now and year end, I think the Fed is going to do 
somewhere between 100 and 125 basis points of tightening. That's kind of on track with their explicit targets. Uh, so it could be 75 in September and then 25 in the two meetings after that. That's There's, I think, a, a misconception that just because the Fed is raising rates, markets have to fall. It really depends on how much is priced into market expectations already. And again, I think that's something we've been focusing on. If you look at the rates markets, it's already priced in the Fed being pretty aggressive into year end and actually even staying pretty tight throughout 2023. I know, but what happens if they send the economy as a result into a recession? Uh, I, you could cite any statistics you want that say, well, stocks can go up when rates go up. But these are unprecedented times in so many respects that do you actually think that they can raise interest rates as much as Powell leads you to believe they will today and at the same time the economy doesn't go into recession thus then the stock market doesn't fall out of bed in any any great way either great question scott um s&p's peak to trough was down 27 percent uh so it's already discounted at that point close to a 90 percent probability of a recession i think the question people have to ask themselves is are, is the contour of incoming data painting a picture where this recession's either unfolding faster or bigger, or are things holding up better? I, I think we've seen a lot of evidence this is turning out to be a soft landing. Now, there is some softness because a lot of durable goods had basically a pull-through because uh, shortages and double ordering, and look at used cars. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's crashing just as quickly as, you know, potentially as quickly as the stay-at-home stocks crashed. That's not a recession, that's, a, that's an adjustment of demand. Um, in fact, it's actually a disinflation, so it's a benefit for consumers. So I think that there are, again, like you said, a lot of mixed currents, but the market's priced in a recession. I think a soft landing to me still seems more probable. Josh Brown, you have a question for Tom Lee, I'm told. Yeah, Tom, uh, I'm gonna read this sentence from what uh, Jerome Powell said today, and I'd love to get your take on it. Quote, history shows that the employment costs of bringing down inflation are likely to increase with delay as high inflation becomes more entrenched in wage and price setting. Our aim is to avoid that outcome by acting with resolve now. Uh, end quote. That really sounds like the hammer. And that really sounds like the, uh, the labor statistics uh, are about to get like a lot worse and maybe those 11 million fake jobs that we've been talking about being out there don't really exist in a world where mm -hmm. money actually costs something, venture capitalists can't raise a billion dollars just for getting out of bed, et cetera. What do you think about that statement and what might the implications be uh, into year end? Uh, that's a, Josh, that's an important statement. Powell's not just talking about the labor report itself having to show softness, that's a communication statement to employers, you know, to be cautious on hiring. Once you do that, if you, like you're saying, if, if you take the number of open jobs down from 11 to something smaller and companies slow bit expansion plans, that doesn't necessarily create a recession. That actually really helps slow and, and reduce wage inflation expectations. That's exactly what the Fed wants. So I think that statement's actually appropriate it really fits where we are in the labor markets but it doesn't mean that they need job you know unemployment rates to actually soar to five six seven percent it does mean we need to get wage growth down it both comes from both employers hiring plans 
and then individual expectations. And as we know, a lot of the growth in the labor in the employment market for the last two months has actually been multi-job holders. Single job holders actually have been yeah. declining for two months. It's not a great labor market as it is. Hey, Tom, can you think that you, you say you, I am more confident of greater than 4,800 on the S&P. So that's that's 700 points higher from here. And you're not ready to give up on 5,100. Can, can you get there without the idea and the belief by the market that the Fed is going to pivot? Because I don't see how you can. Scott, it's a great question. Uh, you know, it's difficult for bullish views to sort of seem credible on days like today. But keep in mind, two things that were sources of inflation surprise in 2022, the biggest contributors, one was used cars and the second was travel. Now, most people think, oh, well, it'll stop contributing to inflation, so it'll go to zero. Remember, these are core items. They're part of core goods and services. Used cars could actually start subtracting from CPI in, in, as early as next month. And travel, especially airfare, could actually be deflationary into the rest of this year. That means we could actually see significant undershooting of inflation. Already the swaps market's looking for less than 2% monthly inflation annualized into year end. You know, it could, it could have some zeros and negatives into it. That's, that would change how markets view what the Fed has to do. And it, it's gonna prove again that the market's done a lot of the work for the Fed by keeping financial conditions tight. I, I wanna give you, Jim, Jim Labenthal's next to me here to my left. I want you to give a chance you a chance to um, respond, engage on somebody who's in your camp. Um, yeah, he and, said something and, and it's, it's hard to find a lot of people who are as bullish as you see the picture over the next four, five, six months and beyond. I feel like I'm doing a lot of defending myself, and I don't think that's the right way of doing it. What I'm trying to do is say, here is the data that I'm looking at, whether it's the economic data on inflation or, more importantly, what I'm seeing and hearing from company reports. Having said that, Tom's, Tom just gave me a piece of data that actually troubles me a little bit, where he says that at least based on Indeed.com, the number of job openings are going down. And I heard what Josh said about fake jobs, That's been a, or fake job offerings. That's been out there for a while. I'm trying to juxtapose that with a Wall Street Journal article from two days ago that said that basically what we know, right? The reason uh, the continuing jobless claims levels are so low is because people get laid off and they find a new job, right? Amazon warehouse worker gets laid off, they go across the street to the airport and get a baggage handler job. And by the way, the, the uh, pay raises are continuing in that, in that context. So Tom, to you, I mean, I'm troubled by what you're saying because really what you're saying is you need to see wage wages come down. And that Wall Street Journal article is saying they're going the other way. What are we hoping for? I mean, I, I know we're in a good news is bad news environment. I'm telling you good news is good news. Am I wrong? Uh, Jim, I think that, I think that there's a lot of math that people throw out, and I just want to just point out where some of the math was historically. Wage growth today, average hourly earnings is growing at about 5%. If you look at the entire period when core CPI or PC, whatever you want to use, was running around two, by the way, only 29% of all years since 1950 uh, have been under 2.9%. So, I mean, it's, it's a pretty unrealistic target. Wage growth was around three to 4%, that's roughly three and a half percent. The Fed doesn't need wages to fall. They just need the job market to soften enough so wage growth slows to around that three and a half percent level. That's how you get to the Fed's target. So I think what's really important is 
That can be achieved by the job market collapsing, but it could be achieved by everything you pointed out, making it harder to switch jobs, uh, openings pulled, confidence about wages and demands for higher wages weakening. These are things that could happen, and it's part of the Fed's communication. I mean, I think that the statement Josh made is is good. It, it's it sends a chills to employers. It sends a chills to anyone you know looking and reading and wanting a job. It's going to make people think twice about switching. Look at what's happened with housing already. I mean, housing is in a pretty big downturn. It's not going to suddenly start rising again just because someone thinks there's a Fed pivot. You know, we we're already in a downward cycle for housing. That's really the last leg of what you need to cool, cool core inflation. Mm -hmm. Tom, we'll leave it there. Uh, I appreciate your time so very much. We'll see you soon. That's Tom Lee of Fundstrat joining us today. When we come back, tech is taking a beating today. Coming up, the one mega cap tech stock you should stay away from, even on the dips. That is a big call today from one major tech investor. We reveal who that is, why he thinks it, and we'll debate it in our call of the day. We're back on the half after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Bertha Coombs, and here's your CNBC News update. The Florida court has just posted a redacted copy of the affidavit the Justice Department relied on when federal agents searched the Mar-a-Lago home of former President Donald Trump to look for classified documents. We are going through the documents right now. Elon Moy will have more information coming up. Trump and his lawyers, meantime, are also due to file court papers clarifying a request this week seeking an independent arbiter to review the hundreds of pages of documents documents that were seized during that search. The Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, Europe's largest, was back on the grid and supplying electricity to Ukraine one day after it was disconnected from the national power grid for the first time in its 40-year history. Recent fighting around the site has spurred growing fears of a catastrophe in which Ukraine and Russia have traded blame for the attacks. And Christie's Auction House says it will handle the sale of the art collection of Paul Allen, the late co-founder of Microsoft. That collection is valued at more than a billion dollars and includes masterpieces by Monet, Cezanne and Jasper Johns. The sale of at least 150 paintings could lead to the most lucrative art auction ever, with sales exceeding the record $922 million set last spring for the Maclow connection. Collection, rather. Halftime returns after this. Got some breaking news to Elon Moy down in D.C. with that. Elon? 
Well, Scott, we are getting some new insight into why the FBI decided to raid President Trump's residence at Mar-a-Lago. The judge has just unsealed a redacted version, a redacted copy of the affidavit that the FBI relied on to conduct that search. And it says that the 15 boxes that President Trump turned over to the National Archives back in January included 184 unique documents with classification markings, including 67 that were marked as confidential, 92 that were marked as secret, and 25 that were marked as top secret. In addition, there were some documents that included markings that indicated that they stemmed from conversations between a CIA officer and a confidential human source overseas, a.k.a. a spy. Now, we are still going through this 38-page uh, redacted affidavit here, and we'll bring you more details as we have it. But, Scott, President, President Biden was asked about this earlier today, and he said that he would let the Justice Department determine whether there was any uh, national security implications of this investigation. Back over to you. All right. I appreciate that, Elon. Thank you for that update. That's Elon Moy down in Washington, D.C. for us with the latest on that breaking news. We're going to pivot now and talk about a big stock of the week, maybe one of the biggest battleground stocks of the week, if you will, NVIDIA. It is under pressure again today, along with, as we've told you, the rest of technology. Those shares are down 11 percent since the company's earnings warning earlier this month and more than 50 percent off of their high. Tech investor Paul Meeks, many of you know that name. He thinks there's still more downside ahead. He says he's not going to be a buyer on this dip, even on the dip, he says. It's our call of the day. So, Josh, I'm going to turn to you first, and Jason Snipe, I'm coming to you. He says, and I quote, and this was an interview that he did uh, with Street Signs Asia, CNBC Street Signs Asia. Quote, the way I look at NVIDIA, I think, unfortunately, it can go lower. I would not be a buyer even on the dip. It seems that every time they report or communicate to us, they're lowering numbers yet again. You cannot buy a stock, even if it becomes relatively inexpensive, when numbers are still going down. Their problem is about a third of their sales come from gaming. And what you could read there is crypto, because uh, quite often these chips are used for crypto mining. And of course, that asset class has absolutely been crushed. So, Josh, what's your response to a well-known investor like Paul Meeks saying, don't touch this thing? Well, I don't know. Like, I don't I don't know that he's saying never touch it. I guess maybe what Not he's now. saying is he's saying don't touch it now. The... OK, that's fine. Um, I, I own a 10x ago, so I'm going to stay with it. But what I would what I would say on NVIDIA specifically um, is that it's not, a, it's not a mystery that demand for chips used in crypto mining is going to be non-existent right now. Everyone understands that. So the question becomes, this was a $320 stock that's now 160 Are we saying this is like a revelation? Is this news to anyone on earth? I don't think so. So a lot of the uh, concern about that segment of the business, even if 100% of it is not in the stock, you have to think at least 80 to 90% of the concern about that segment has been priced in. The market's not totally blindsided by this. The second thing though that I would say, this has always been a high beta stock, which means it's feast or famine. And in, in when, you, when I describe high beta, let me put some uh, numbers to that. It's got a beta of like 1.65, which means for every 10% move in the S&P 500 in both directions, NVIDIA has moved historically 16.5%. So think about that. We're in a downtrend. Tech specifically is in a massive uh, downtrend, a legitimate bear market. NVIDIA is a $450 billion market cap 
very highly visible technology stock. Expect volatility, expect 60% more volatility than the overall stock market historically, but understand that that works in both directions. And at some point, a lot of the negativity about things like gaming will be fully mm. priced into this story. So Jason Snipe, do you see it the same way? What's your view here? You've owned it, I think, a bit of a less, uh, smaller period of time than Josh Brown has. Yeah, but I, I agree with a, wa- a lot of what JB just said. I mean, look, if you're, if you're looking at gaming as an example, you know, about 30% of revenue, I mean, I think this has been more of a path to normalization. There was so much demand pulled forward through the pandemic, you know, so I, I'm not shocked by those numbers. But again, the print wasn't great. I mean, it was a miss on EPS, a miss on revenue. But data center still up 60%. I think there's some real resiliency there. Yes, it was up 80% last quarter. So there's some uh, normalization happening there. And, and there likely will be some more volatility in the short run. But they sit at the beltways of innovation. For me, it's still a long-term hold and nothing to disrupt here. And I would be looking to buy on, on some dips over the next couple months. Okay. All right. Good to get your uh, perspectives, both of you. Mike Santoli gives us his perspective next. It's his midday word when we're back in two minutes. All right, senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is with us here uh, with his midday words. Somebody texted me, said, you know, somebody notable uh, suggested this was Powell today showing you his claws. Yes, uh, I would say so. He clearly does not want the wall of worry to get too low, uh, too low for his own purposes. Is it notable that the repricing we've had since the speech in the stock market is a lot more dramatic than in the bond market? Maybe. Uh, Maybe it shows you that the bond market pretty much heard something that was at least in the range of what was expected in terms of where rates are going to. But the notion that um, the recession scenario might be the medicine and not just the side effect, I think that's what the stock market is trying to sort out. Mm. You, I think, were the one earlier who suggested or at least asked the question as to whether a soft landing was even the goal at at this point. I think it's a really interesting point you make and a certain fair one at this point. I think it is part of that same conversation is the recession. The point is, you know, you have to get unemployment up to a certain level. I think clearly the soft landing is still the desired outcome, but it would involve it being kind of the lucky one, uh, perhaps. And I think we also have to define these terms. Again, nominal growth is is high enough. It's got this cushion baked into it. We do have labor shortage issues. It really still comes down to, you know, the trajectory of inflation and how fast it goes down, because Powell's message is assuming they're not going to get a lot of unexpected help on that front, or at least they're not going to count on it. That could be that could change. You know, Tom Lee was saying, you know, a lot of the leading indicators of inflation uh, seem like they might start to become a little more friendly. This person to your right, sandwiched in the middle of us here, thinks that, too. Yeah. Can I? uh, Thank you. Um, Hypothetical. Yeah. End of the day on Wednesday, two days ago, if I told you that from where we were then to right now, we'd be down one percent on the S&P 500. That you know where I'm going with this. Would your hair have been on fire? Would you no, have told no, me, oh, my God? No, not. And I think the way to do it is to is to pan out a little bit. And we're at kind of the August lows or like maybe half a percent above the August lows. That's where you start to say, OK, the cushion we built up in this rally maybe uh, is wearing a little bit thin. But but right now, I don't think it's out of bounds uh, for, for what we've known from before today. All right. Uh, I will see you in a few. Yeah. We'll see what happens the rest of this very busy and interesting day. That's Mike Santoli. We have final trades next on the half.
Well, I think overtime needs to be part of your viewing today, don't you think? Four o'clock Eastern time, given what's happening in the markets right now. See how we end up and see what it all means for the days and the weeks ahead. Joe Terranova is going to be with me at Post 9. Liz Young, Bryn Talkington. We've got the former Fed vice chair, Roger Ferguson, as well. Uh, that'll be interesting. What did he hear and what kind of action will go with the words we got from the Fed chair today? Uh, we hope he'll tell us, too. So I'll see you then. Let's do final trades today. Let's start with Brenda. What do you have? I have Google. And even if we look at the digital ad market and if we do see continued slowing, we think that search is going to still be a very relevant place for advertisers to consider spending their dollars on. And if we look at Google's own profitability, I think over time, you know, their um, cloud business should begin to improve. That should help cushion things. And at 18 times earnings, we think it's an interesting story right here. Okay, good stuff. Jay Snipe. Yeah, I like uh, Chevron here. I really like the energy place, the energy space period, free cash flow yield of over 11%. Had a really strong quarter last quarter. I like this. Uh, stay long here. Okay. Josh Brown, what do you have for me? Oil and gas producers sat out most of the bull market this summer. That bull market is now reversing. And look at the relative strength on these names. IEO, pure play on producers. This is what I'm doing. Do you, do, you, do you own Chenier? I know you've been talking about it a lot lately. Is that yours? Yep. New record highs this week. Yeah, yeah. as, as you've been pointing out. Uh, thank you. Okay, Farmer Jim, yeah, wrap, it, uh, wrap it up here. ExxonMobil, I think this is a fairly non-controversial play in a fairly non-controversial sector. It's hard to get bearish on this sector. With what we see going on, this is sub-10 earnings, 3.6% dividend yield, easy way to be in the energy sector. Only controversial given the pullback and then thinking that it's going to ramp back up, uh, if you will. I'll see everybody uh, in overtime in just a few hours. Have a great weekend. It does it for us here. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel